Welcome to Money in the Air, the music podcast about neighboring rights, the royalties you earn from the public performance of your recordings and the business of music in general. Brought to you by IFR, the International Association for Artists and Rights Holders. I'm Andrew, a royalty consultant helping artists to collect on their value. Hi, I'm Gina Deacon. I work for Absolute Rights Management and I work with record labels and artists to ensure we claim the royalty income due to them. I'm Stacey Haber and I'm from Inside Baseball Music Publishing. Hi, I'm Tanya Oliveira. I work for Transparency Entertainment Group. I focus on World X USA neighboring rights on the performer side and rights holder side. Hey, welcome back to Money in the Air, the neighboring rights podcast brought to you by IFR, the International Association for Artists and Rights Holders. Joining Tanya, Andrew and I today is Lewis Mayo. My name's Lewis. I've been producing sort of creative music for the last 11 years. I've had various different projects. I tend to focus a lot on electronic music and solo guitar-based music, possibly post-punk type alternative. As we're talking about rights, I'd like to know, how will I know if my music is played in public? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And we haven't been asked that before, Lewis, so thanks for asking that. Basically, if you are signed up to a neighbouring rights society, also known as a CMO, which is an acronym for Collective Management Organisation, you will know it's been played or broadcast somewhere because you will receive a payment, you'll receive a neighbouring rights royalty. So in the UK, the society is called PPL, and you can mandate them to collect for you just here regionally in the UK, or you can ask them to collect around the world or in certain countries. It's very, very like bespoke. You can tailor your needs. And yeah, you'll receive royalties when there's been airplay with a corresponding statement and eight out of ten times it'll give you a breakdown of the territories where the tracks are played and the track title unfortunately not every territory is as advanced as ppl's like systems you'll get unallocated income it's called but you know take the money and run it's yours but it's really lovely when you get a breakdown from certain territories of like this is the, the recording that was played and the time period and so that's how you know. But you've got to sign up with a society before you get paid. Can you deliver playlists to them? So if you know you're going to be on Radio 2 on Saturday night at 8 p.m., can you tell PPL about it? I think certain people do that, but I'm not sure exactly if this is 100% true, but PPL would rather people didn't do that because they have their own systems in place. So um, in theory, uh, licensed radio stations will send uh, playlists to PPL and to PRS on the songwriting side but we won't get into songwriting today so there's no need for that but I, I don't see any harm like if you have an account manager there or if you don't you can email the generic email address and just say hey there these plays have happened this airplay is guaranteed to happen next week and give times and dates I don't see why it wouldn't hurt but they might reply with there's no need to do this if I was definitely getting radio airplay I think I would email them because I'm a control freak Andrew, what about Sound Exchange? So Sound Exchange operates a little bit differently, as Tanya mentioned, with broadcast performance. So with radio stations, it's whatever they're reporting to the CMO at that point. So I'm not going to, again, get into publishing, but it would be ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, or GMR, which functions the same thing as PRS in the UK. They send usage reports, and then there's also surveys that are done to reconcile between what is being reported and what is being surveyed from the audience measurements. But at SoundExchange, it's a little bit more straightforward because it operates with digital performance royalties. So with Pandora, with SiriusXM, these are all digital sources. So there's a lot more of a record as to 
when your recording is played and when the public interacts with it. So Pandora reports it to SoundExchange, their usage files, and then there's a per stream freight that gets applied to it by the CRB, which is 0.002 per stream. The third party, as long as they're registered, if they're playing my song, they'll keep a track, they'll send it off. And as long as I'm registered, then that'll get matched up. And that's how I'll know, essentially. Yeah, cool. you'll you'll know after the fact, unless somebody tells you before the fact. Who is going to give me the, the ISRC code that will that will track my music? There's an option at PPL when you join as a rights holder, if you own your own masters, which, um, as you've explained before, I assume you do. Um, there's an option where you can request an ISRC stem. And then with that, you can create your own ISRCs and you have to like, input the extra digits. And it's however you'd like to do that as your unique identifier. Um, if you have a record deal... In theory, they will be sorting that out on your behalf and they will register ISRCs at PPL. Uh, sometimes digital distributors do this as well. Um, so if you're with AWOL, CD Baby, Ingrooves, etc., you know, double check with them because they might have registered ISRCs already. And there's no harm in you registering an ISRC as well, but it just gets a bit messy when there's duplicates, you know, which one's going to get paid and, and then merging them is just a bit problematic. So, yeah, always check, like, do you have a label deal? If you don't, ask your distributor. If not, great, you should register your own. Does it have to be in a certain format or is it sort of whatever number I'd like it to, to be or...? So yeah, the stem is five digits. It's the country code. So here it would be GB or UK. And then there'd be three, usually three letters that would pertain to your name. So it might have LM in it or something like that. Or it could just be random three digits. So like UK, say LM, for example as an example. And then you've got to make up the next seven. So we recommend you use the year of release so if you're releasing tracks now then the next two digits would be two two and then what we recommend is the rest is zeros until the number one so that means it's the first track you've released in 2022 and then you can keep it and then just add two at the end three at the end four at the end like sequential that's what we advise it makes it nice and neat and easy to track and stuff some people just kind of go all out and just do whatever they want and and that's fine too as long as it's not the same as another ISLC out there but the yeah. chances of that are quite slim because I my math is terrible but it's the chances of that are slim if uh, an online distributor gives me the code what happens if say I'm un- unhappy with the service they're providing and I want to move to another distributor and I keep the code and move the music will I have to resubmit my songs and start again Every single sound recording should have one ISRC code. It's basically the fingerprint for that sound recording. There should, in theory, be no duplicates. So once you've been assigned an ISRC code to a recording, that's it forever. And you can take that ISRC code and that is your ISRC code for that recording. Whether or not you're with one distributor or the next distributor, you can withdraw the rights from that distributor and use another distributor using that ISRC code. Is that in the metadata of the music or is that, are they separate things? You put it in the metadata. You often have to enter it manually in a drop-down menu or on a database. Your distributor will not embed it for you in most cases. When you get the ISRC number from whoever you're distributing through, go back into your Logic or Pro Tools file and bring down the data drop-down menu and input the number they give you. Or if you're giving it to your distributor, make sure you put it in your files before you submit the track so it's already there. 
those were fabulous questions. Thank you very, very much. If ever there's anything you want to know, just ask us. Same for you guys at home. You can email us at info at ifr.co.uk or you can just hit the join button and become a member and then you have access to us all the time. It's www.ifr.co.uk and we have our first conference in June, June 21st and 22nd, two days simultaneous in LA and London. You can come in person if you're in those cities or you can join us virtually. And it includes one-on-one -on -one sessions on day two. So if you want to sit down in front of one of us, you can do that. Just go ahead and buy a ticket to the conference and do it now before the early bird prices go away. And there's a discount for IFR members as well. Be frugal, become a member of IFR and sign up for an early bird ticket. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.